I invite you to turn with me once again to the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 8. And this morning we're going to be looking at verses 40 through 56. Luke 8, verses 40 through 56. Here Luke tells us uh, a story within a story in this passage. Uh, The first is about what happens when Jesus comes into contact with a woman suffering from a discharge of blood for 12 years. The second story is about what happens when Jesus comes into contact with a dead little girl. Uh, And both of these stories, I think, are intended to teach us about why Christ came to the earth and what he demands of us. And that's what we're going to think about today. But before we read our passage, let's pray and ask once again for the Lord's help as we look to his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to see Uh, the radiant glory of Jesus Christ shining in these verses. Uh, May your word today be to us sweeter than the honey of the honeycomb, and and may we find your word to be more precious than, than any earthly treasure we own. We ask that the Holy Spirit would allow us to see the Lord Jesus Christ today and and all of the blessings of God that are stored up in him and that are made ours through faith. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. Let's hear God's word. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, She could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power Has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, Someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this answer, this, this answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, 
He allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Why did Christ come to earth? There's an answer here in Luke chapter 8 to that question. This text shows us the mission of Jesus and the call of Jesus. It shows us that Christ came into the world to achieve something, and in light of that, what he now requires of us. And here we'll see that Christ came into the world to make us clean and deliver us from death. These two things, I think, were really at the heart of Jesus' ministry. He came into the world to deal with defilement and to deal with death. And so I want us to look at this passage from these two perspectives this morning. I want us to see the mission of Jesus, and then in light of that, the call of Jesus. And so in the first place, as we think about the mission of Jesus, we see here that Jesus came into the world to deal with defilement. When Jesus returned from Across the lake of Galilee, Luke is setting up the story here, he was welcomed by a crowd and there came to him a a man named Jairus who was a synagogue ruler. In a Jewish context, that will be important in in a little bit for us to keep in mind. And this synagogue ruler throws himself at the feet of Jesus, imploring Jesus to come to his house, imploring him to come and help because His one and only daughter, who is 12 years old, is sick, and she is dying. And so Jesus started making his way to to Jairus' house, but that's when there's an interruption in the story. And this is when Luke tells us a story within a story. Because as Jesus was going to the house, as the crowds were pressing in on him, there was this woman who had a discharge of blood for the same length of years as this little girl had been alive. We're told in these 12 years that she suffered much. She spent everything she had seeking the help of physicians, but none of them at the end of the day could do anything for her. I think it's important to keep in mind, remember that Luke, who's writing this gospel, Luke himself was a physician And he wants you to see and know that this woman sought the the best medical help available at that time. She spared no expense, but none of them could cure her. If you go to, to Mark's account, you don't have to do this, but Mark tells us that she suffered 
much at the hands of the physicians as they tried their different treatment plans and none of them, none of them resolved the, the issue. Friends, I think it's a reminder that although we have, we have much better health care available to us today, by the way, you know, one of the remedies for a discharge of blood at this time was a glass of wine with some onion mixed in. All right, we have better health care available to us today, and for that we should be very, very thankful. But we still live in a fallen world where children can get sick and gravely ill and where we can develop conditions that even the professionals cannot fix. And while, you know, while doctors may uh, prolong our lives and may alleviate pain, they can't, they can't fundamentally change the world that we live in. Where sickness is inescapable and death inevitable for us all. And Luke, the physician, wants you to see that. He wants you to see that our problem goes beyond what medicine can fix. We can't just pop a pill to deal with this problem. We need someone who has the authority to rebuke sickness and to banish death. And Luke wants you to see that that someone is Jesus Christ. This bleeding woman made her way to Jesus and, and she wanted to remain unnoticed. Why did she want to remain unnoticed? That's a question worth asking. I think here's where it would help us to, to read this passage in light of the Old Testament. Because this woman was unclean. She was ceremonially unclean, and anyone or anything she came into contact with was rendered unclean. But she desperately wanted to get to Jesus because she believed that he could, he could help her. He could do what none of the physicians could do. And so she comes up from behind him and reached out and touched the fringe of his garment. And, and immediately, Luke says, her discharge of blood ceased. It was, it was an incredible miracle. Twelve years of suffering and in an instant she was healed. healed and now she thought, well, I can, I can slip away now in secrecy and seek purification later, but she was wrong. Jesus stops and says, who touched me? You know, Peter, Peter's a little incredulous. Lord, what do you mean? Who touched you? Look around you. The crowds are, are pressing in. People are all around you. Why do you ask that question? But I don't think Jesus is asking this question because he was totally ignorant of what had just taken place. I think he's asking the question for the sake of this woman and for the sake of the crowd and for the sake of you and me as readers of this story. And when she realizes she's no longer hidden and now the, the spotlight is on her, you can imagine the scene. She's recognized in the community. Perhaps some of those who were very zealous about cleanliness laws are, are backing away at this point because they don't want to come into contact with her. And she goes to Jesus' feet and she casts herself down in the dust. And you notice that she's the second person in this passage to bow before the Lord Jesus. Now, you, I think it's worth noticing that those in this story who 
believe the Lord Jesus are those who are bowed down at his feet, trusting that he alone can help them. But I think, I think what Luke is showing is us is this, that Jesus came into the world to deal with defilement and make us clean. See, again, to, to understand the significance of this story, we have to see it in light of the Old Testament. The ceremonial laws of clean and unclean are the background to what Luke is telling us here. And in Numbers 5, take, take your Bibles and turn with me to Numbers 5. And as you're turning there, let me say a couple of things, because in these verses, the first four verses, the Lord tells Israel what must be done if someone is unclean from a discharge or if someone has come into contact with the dead. In that order, now do you see what's going on in this story? What's Luke saying to us? He's telling us what happens when Jesus comes into contact with someone with a discharge and what happens when Jesus comes into contact with someone who is dead. Now according to the law, if you were unclean, you had to go outside the camp. You could not dwell in the camp in which God dwelled. You couldn't go to worship. Depending on which time you lived, you couldn't go to the tabernacle or you couldn't go to the temple. Now let me show you this in in, uh, Numbers 5 verses 1 through 4. And I'm convinced Luke has this in mind. He's already told us back in Uh, Luke chapter 5, what happened when Jesus came into contact with an unclean leper, and now a woman with a discharge and a dead little girl. And so in Numbers 5, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is clean, unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp as the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. So there are these three categories. Did you you notice them? Of those who were to be put outside the camp, lepers, those with discharges, and those who came into contact with the dead. They were, why? They were unclean. They were defiled. And so they had to be placed outside the camp in which a holy God dwelt. I think these laws were intended to teach the people of God several lessons that we don't have time to get into. But I want us to think about one of the chief reasons. I think one of the chief lessons of these ceremonial laws is God was teaching his people a lesson about sin. It was, it was an object lesson about the way that sin defiles us. It was a, a way that God taught Israel that he is holy and undefiled and that which is holy and defiled cannot remain in his presence. This is the fundamental reason that God said these people must be put outside the camp. In Numbers 5, verse 3, that's the reason given, that they might not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. The idea is God is undefiled. 
and that which is defiled must be put outside the camp of which he dwells. And so the Lord was teaching his people about sin and and what it does to our fellowship with God. It was a lesson that was made clear to Adam and Eve in the beginning, wasn't it? In the Garden of Eden. We have to understand that the, the garden was the dwelling place of God with man. It was the place in which Adam and Eve enjoyed unbroken fellowship with their creator. But Adam and Eve acted against God. They rebelled against God. They sinned. And by doing so, they brought defilement into the garden and defilement upon themselves. And so they they had to go. They had to be placed outside of the garden of God. And so over and over again, God teaches us that sin makes us unclean. And that means we cannot remain in the presence of a holy God. And so... The, the instruction of Numbers 5, from, from exclusion from the camp where God dwelled, was an object lesson of what defilement does to our fellowship with the Lord. I think it's important to understand that this doesn't mean that someone with a discharge or someone uh, suffering from leprosy is somehow more sinful than anyone else. The ceremonial status of unclean did not mean that that person had committed some kind of special sin. But in the law of Moses, it was a graphic illustration for the people of God of what sin does to our communion with God. And the lesson is, when we are defiled, we cannot dwell with him. Sin makes us impure, but God is perfect, holy purity. And therefore, what is impure must be sent out from his presence. And so the Bible is is clear, dear friends, that we have a problem, don't we? We have a very serious problem. We are sinners and sin defiles us and that disqualifies us from dwelling in the presence of God. God made that clear in Genesis chapter 3. God made that clear to the people of Israel in Numbers 5 and Leviticus 15. Go and read Leviticus 15 sometime about people suffering from a discharge. Touch this, it's unclean. Touch that, it's unclean. And you read it and you think, good grief, everything I come into contact with is defiled. That's the point. That's the point of Leviticus 15. But then... God makes this lesson loud and clear once again at the end of our Bibles in Revelation 21. I want you to turn there with me. Revelation 21. In verse 8, you can turn there or just listen to me. John is talking about the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem where God will make his dwelling with man for eternity. And in Revelation 21, verse 8, John tells us who will be excluded. And look at what he says. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
Now notice, no, no lepers, no one suffering from a discharge, and no one who's come into contact with the dead. No, John is speaking in moral categories, isn't he? Not ceremonial categories of what is clean and unclean. And, and he's making it very, very clear that it is moral sin that excludes us from the presence of God. But, but listen to how John describes the effect of that moral sin on humanity. Later in this chapter, just listen, verse 27, John says these words, Nothing unclean will ever enter the new Jerusalem. You see, John is saying that that moral sin is what defiles us, makes us unclean, and unless we are made clean, we cannot come into the presence of God. Unless our filthy garments are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, we will be sent out into the outer darkness, John is saying. And so, at the end of the day, this woman is a picture of our condition. The way in which sin defiles us and in and, and Pauline terms, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we could say, no one is clean. No, not one. And left in this condition. Numbers 5, we cannot dwell in the camp of the Lord. But you see, here's the good news of Luke chapter 8. Luke is telling you the story to tell you Here is the one who can make you clean. Here is the one who can take away your defilement. Here is the one who can take away your guilt and your corruption and purify you and present you to the heavenly father. Here's this woman. Go back to her for a moment. She's been unclean for 12 years. No one could help her. The priests couldn't change her status. All they could do was affirm her status according to the law of Moses. She went to all of the physicians and not one of them could do anything about her condition. But on this day, she found the one who had the power and the authority and the grace to take away her impurity and cleanse her altogether. So now she comes, this is, this is teaching us, Jesus is the fulfillment of the ceremonial law. Think, think about it in these terms. Un, until this time, since this law was given on Mount Sinai, when someone with a discharge came into contact with another person, that clean person became unclean. And now here is this unclean woman, and she touches the Lord Jesus Christ, but he isn't made unclean. She's made clean. And she's cured. And so I think this woman's ceremonial uncleanness, it's not just this bare miracle testifying to the power of Jesus, though it certainly does that, but rather it is about the gospel. It is about the fact that we in our own condition are unclean and defiled and we can... We can exhaust all of our resources and at the end of the day, remain unclean. 
But when we reach out to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, even an imperfect faith, and her faith, dear friends, is imperfect, but it's not the power of the, her faith that saved her. It was the power of the Savior that she was taking hold of in faith. And he made her clean. And so we see that Jesus has come into the world to deal with sin's defilement. And secondly, as we continue to think about the mission of Jesus, we see that Jesus came into the world to deal with death. Now come back, come back to Jairus and his 12-year-old daughter who is dying. And while Jesus was speaking to this woman, a messenger of death arrived. He came with the, the worst possible news. This is, this is terrible. The girl is dead. Don't trouble Jesus any longer. You know, their assumption was maybe Jesus can do something for her while she's sick, but now that she's died, he can't do anything for her. So stop bothering him. But then as you look at this story, you know, we think we, think we know Jesus we think we can expect what he's going to say or what he's going to do. But when you read the Gospels, he's constantly shocking you, isn't he? When you actually read the Gospels closely, what he says here is jarring. This man has just heard that his daughter is dead and Jesus doesn't put his arm around him. Jesus doesn't console him in the way that you and I might. Jesus looks at him and he says, Do not fear only believe, and she will be made well. You know, it just sounds so otherworldly, doesn't it? You, you want to say, Jesus, what world are you from? Because in this world, the dead stay dead. But Jesus goes on to his house, and when he arrives, the, the mourners are already there. The sound of weeping is the atmosphere. It's filling the air. And you just have to think about how terrible of, of a scene this is. I, I, don't, I don't even like thinking about it. This father's only daughter is gone. She's, she's dead. The, the, this mother and this father must be just bowed down in sorrow. And, and then again Jesus says something that seems totally insensitive. She's dead. And Jesus says, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And some people laughed. People laughed at the ridiculousness of that statement. But then look at what Jesus does. And remember Numbers 5. If someone comes into contact with the dead, that person becomes unclean. That's what happened every point in history up to this day. Apart from Jesus touching the beer of the, the son of the, the widow of Nain. You remember when he touched the, the dead man and raised him to life. But here, I think Luke is intentionally drawing our attention to the ceremonial law here. Because when Jesus touches this girl... He doesn't become unclean, but rather the uncleanliness of death is banished altogether. And, and I, love, I love the detail Luke gives you to make sure that you're seeing this in light of the ceremonial law. Jesus doesn't just speak to her, does he? He could have done that. 
I mean, he can calm the winds and the storms with the word. But what does Jesus do? Jesus takes this dead little girl by the hand. He comes into contact with a corpse. And then in this tender way, he says, Child, arise. And at his command, she got up at once. And the the wonder is, dear friends, Jesus is not unclean, but death is gone. He speaks, and she's alive. You see, Luke is fixing our eyes on the, the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. These healing miracles are prophetic pictures of the mission of Jesus. He came to deal with sin's defilement, and he came to banish death. And we have to go forward in the Gospel of Luke to see how he would ultimately do that. He would ultimately do that, brothers and sisters, by dying for our sins. Rising again from the dead. Do you see the wonder of that in light of what we're thinking about this morning? That Jesus, the sinless, spotless, undefiled Son of God, fully took the place of sinful, defiled, impure people, and he carried the weight of their guilt to the cross. And and he he didn't just come into contact with death. But in order to save us, Jesus died. Humanly speaking, he was a corpse for three days. But but death could not hold the sinless Son of God and he rose again for our salvation and our justification to deal with sin's defilement and to give us the hope of resurrection life because the, the message of this story, dear friends, is all those who trust in him are made clean and they will share in his resurrection life. So this was an important part of why Christ came to earth, to deal with defilement and death. And because of that, we see thirdly, the call of Jesus to trust him. Now, faith is a a major theme in this story. Just look at verse, verse 48. Jesus is speaking to the healed woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. And in verse 50, do not fear Only believe, and she will be well. So what is is this story teaching us about faith? A couple of things here. First of all, it's teaching us that Jesus calls for faith. Indeed, he commands faith in this passage. To, To be made clean and to be rescued from eternal death, we must trust Christ. You understand that it wasn't a magical garment that made this woman well. She was not made well by her own efforts. She was made well by trusting in, in Christ. And that's what Jesus wants her and the crowd to understand. That's why he says, daughter, your faith has made you Well, he's not saying that faith somehow has this inherent power to make her well. 
He's not saying that she had enough faith to be healed. He is saying that faith is the way that she came to Jesus who has the power to heal and make sinners well. That she, that she leaned upon him. That she cast herself on him. That she reached out to him in humble faith, believing that he had the power and the authority to fix her problem. And, and, and he's acknowledging that she experienced his grace through faith. You see, that I think this, this, the lesson here, it is so simple that our children can understand it, and yet it is so very hard if you want to be made well, if you want your defilement taken away, you must trust Christ. The story is telling us that your resources can't serve, solve your problem. Your parents' faith, young ones, can't solve your problem. Coming to church can't solve your problem. Trusting in Christ alone is the answer to your greatest problem, and that is the defilement of sin. And so we see here only Jesus can make us well, and therefore we, we must go to him, casting ourselves upon him, trusting in him alone, because we know, don't we? Because God's word tells us a day is coming when Jesus will return. And he's going to, he's going to renew this earth. And there's going to be a place called the New Jerusalem, the city in which God dwells with his people. But the unclean will not enter it. And this story is telling us that only those who trust in Christ to purify them of their defilement will be brought into the kingdom of God and dwell with the Lord forever. I want to ask some of you today, you know, Jesus is calling out to us in this passage. Think of the, that famous passage in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, the message today is, Come unto me, all you who are guilty and defiled, and I will make you clean. Friends, that is the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. And I want to ask you today, if you haven't gone to him, what on earth are you waiting for? Why would we not go to this Jesus? Why would we not cast ourselves upon him, trusting that he is God's answer to our sin? Go to him and trust him. And so Jesus calls for faith and then Secondly, we see here that Jesus will test your faith. Think about Jairus again. Put yourself in his shoes for a minute in this story. Jairus came to Jesus believing, trusting that Jesus could help him. His 12-year-old daughter is dying, and if he doesn't get help for her fast, she is as good as dead. Jesus has started to go to the house to help this little girl. Now I imagine, maybe this is a little bit of sanctified speculation on my part, but can't you see Jairus 
rushing down the street, trying to get home as fast as he can. And he looks to his left, and Jesus isn't there anymore. And he turns around and he looks back and and he's in conversation with this woman who is bowed down at his feet. What's going on in his mind at that moment? What's he feeling? Jesus, what, what on earth are you doing? There's no time to spare. Don't you understand that my daughter is dying? Some of you, uh, some of you heard that we cut it a little bit close with uh, Emma's uh, delivery. <laughs> we had no idea that she was coming so fast. We arrived at the hospital at 11.20 and she was born at 11.37. But can you imagine if we knew that Emma would arrive at any moment on our way to the hospital, I just say to Kelsey, you know what? I'm going to pull over here for a couple of minutes and talk to these folks. What? What are you doing? This This is an emergency. I think Jairus was probably feeling irritation impatience, perhaps passing over into anger. And now there's this seed in his mind. Does Jesus even really care? But then the test gets harder. (laughs) Because while he waited for Jesus, the message arrives that they're, they're too late. She was dead. And you can imagine what... What is Jairus thinking? Jesus, if you had just not stopped. If you had just kept going, my daughter would not be dead. I think this is something Luke is trying to help us understand from from multiple stories and multiple perspectives. Because remember, why, why did it seem as though Jesus did not care about his disciples in the boat when their lives were threatened on the Sea of Galilee? And why why did Jesus stop instead of rushing to save this girl from dying? Jairus must have been tempted to think, this man really doesn't care. Faith is being tested, dear friends. You, You know what this is like, perhaps. You had an expectation. You thought Jesus was going to do something, but then... He stopped, and all of your hopes were dashed to pieces. Some of you have maybe been where Jairus is and wondering, why why did you not help? Why why did you not hear my cries? I I wonder if that's where some of you are today. You, You look at your circumstances, and from a limited human perspective, you've begun to think, does he even really care? But I think that brings us to the third lesson here. Because Jesus not only tests our faith, Jesus grows our faith. And this is something Jairus had to learn. Testing always has a purpose in God's mind. Testing is not meaningless, it's meaningful, it's not purposeless, it's purposeful, and, and it's, always that way, it's always that way, with the great goal in mind in the purposes of God that we would see more of the glory and the power of Jesus Christ. 
You see, from Jairus' limited perspective, it looked as though Jesus didn't care about the situation. It looked as though Jesus was ignoring him, but something else entirely was going on here. And as I thought about this, it, it made me think of a similar story in John chapter 11. You know the story of Jesus and his friend Lazarus. Let me just give you, let me refresh your memory in case you forget some of the details. Jesus had just received word that his friend Lazarus was very sick. He was gravely ill. And then John tells us that Jesus loved Martha and Mary, his sisters, and he loved Lazarus. Now, in light of that, just listen to these words from John 11, verse 6. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. Come again? Right? Isn't that what you think? Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus heard that Lazarus was dying, and Jesus stayed. What's going on here? And by the time he got to Bethany, we're told that Lazarus was already in the grave for four days. Remember the King James Version, he stinketh. And when, uh, when uh, Martha found out that Jesus was finally coming, he, she goes out to him and she says, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would still be alive. Sure sounds like something Jairus could have said, doesn't it? Lord, if you had just gone to my house, my daughter would still be alive. She would not be dead. We have to ask the question, dear friends, why, why did Jesus let Lazarus and this little girl die? And I think the answer of Scripture is that because he wanted Jairus, he wanted Lazarus and Martha and Mary and you and me to see his glory. To, to know that he is the resurrection and the life and that all who trust in him will not die. Yes, as Jesus acknowledges later in John 11, though we may die physically, what does Jesus say? Yet shall they live. This is what Jesus wants Lazarus, and he wants Jairus to understand. The death of Lazarus, the death of this little girl, was for the glory of God and that the Son of God might be glorified through it. It was so that they would see the power of Jesus Christ, not just to cure a sickness, but to raise the dead with his voice. And it was so that they would entrust themselves to him, not just in life, not just in sickness, but as we go into the grave knowing that in life and in death, my body and soul belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why this happened. That is why God ordained the death of this little girl. Jesus was growing faith as he manifested his glory. And dear friends, that's why God has given us this story. To call us to faith in Jesus Christ, the, the glorious Lord and giver of life, 
to, to strengthen and encourage our weak and faltering faith because with his voice, he can bring the dead back to life. And dear friends, one day, whether you are alive at his coming or whether you are six feet in the ground, you are going to hear that same voice speaking from the clouds and with a shout of command, the dead in Christ will be raised. And so as we look at this story, brothers and sisters, God wants us to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world to deal with sin's defilement. And he came to deal with death so that when we entrust ourselves to him and believe in him, our sins are forgiven, we are made pure in God's sight, and we will one day share in his resurrection life. And that is why in this passage, Jesus calls us to faith today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your cleansing blood. We thank you that you have conquered death. And I pray that we would be found just like Jairus and just like this woman, bowing down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting our very lives into his hands. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.